welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Jem Kennedy. I'm a transformational coach as well as creator of the Queers & Co zine and community. Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining for another episode. I hope you're all keeping safe and well. We're still on lockdown here in the UK and I can't see that changing anytime soon. Um, just a couple of things to let you know if you're in need of any support. Um, I'm running a quarantine sharing circle on Sundays at four o'clock UK time and that's free so you just need to head to the Quiz and Co Facebook group and you'll find the link to register there. It's every week, uh, definitely for the foreseeable future. And if you would like any one-to-one support, I'm also offering by donation coaching and EFT. So um, get in touch with me via email, gem at gemkennedy.com or through Facebook or Instagram if you'd like to book that and you think you would find that helpful. Otherwise, please do be safe and take care. And if you can and you're still earning your regular wage, please consider donating to mutual aid funds for queer folks, for sex workers, for trans folks, for people who are really struggling in these difficult times and potentially find it even more difficult because of being marginalised to access any of the support that might be out there. I know London by Pandas has a mutual aid fund and I will share the link to that in the show notes in case you'd like to consider donating to that. I know they've had a lot of applications and they've raised an incredible amount of money so far but they're receiving new applications all the time so they could really do with some of your support. So now to introduce my guest for today. My guest today is a Mexican-British writer and performer who is constantly experimenting with the possibilities of spoken word. They are international intersectional and interdisciplinary in their work and use poetry to convey everyday realities that may remain untold in the media particularly around feminist and queer issues and culture and countercultural shock mental health and self-preservation their debut poetry collection called meanwhile is coming out on the 7th of september this year 2020 and i would highly recommend that you check out their work on their website and uh, go and follow them in all the places that you can which will be in the show notes I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Cynthia Rodriguez. Hi, Cynthia, how are you? All right, yeah, just uh, at home, looking at the rain, working with my cat. Oh, nice. Well, the (laughs) cat is not working, but (laughs) I am. (laughs) Co-working with your cat. That sounds like a nice Friday. (laughs) Yes, excellent. (laughs) So um, it would be really great if you can just tell everyone a bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, my name is Cynthia Rodriguez. I'm a, a poet and spoken word performer, and I also do a bit of music here and there. I'm British and Mexican, like double nationality. Been living in Britain for almost 10 years. I'm based in Leicester, but I do a lot of stuff in the Midlands and London and stuff. Currently studying a master's on cultural events management to just make more things happen in the community. I do a lot of work about like different topics that are like intersecting, like queerness, feminism, self-preservation, the migrant experience. My first book uh, coming out soon in September through Burning Eye Books is called Meanwhile, and it's exactly about living in the in-between like in between rites of passage and just not being like easily pinpointed 
within one identity, one gender, one nation nationality, one body, one state of mind, and so on. Yeah, and what was the inspiration behind writing the book? I've, I've always written since I was tiny, but I've been doing the spoken, like poetry, spoken word stuff for almost five years now, publishing at fun scenes here and there, and a couple of anthologies. Bridget from Burning Eye Books, like they've been telling me for years. A couple of years ago, they had a contest for people of color and I submitted my work. I was shortlisted. I wasn't, I wasn't one of the winners, but Bridget again said, we really, really want like your work. So we would like it if you submitted something for a collection and I did it and they accepted it and I've been working on that collection for about a year. Yeah, I was I was thinking of like oh, all the subjects I've been I've been talking about in the past 5 years of experience and I just thought oh yeah, this is this is the connective link, the thing that joins them together, the fact that they are all about passing through life and time and how it's like not not normal but like expected milestones from a capitalist hetero patriarchal anglo-saxon protestant white blah 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 society says it means to be like a citizen or a human an adult i was thinking what about those people Mm -hmm. who never reached that state like including me including a lot of millennials like I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 30s I'm 33 now and I'm nowhere near where my parents were when they were 33 they mm-hmm. already had me they had a house they had a car they had like a job that pays the bills they seemed a lot more mature but by achieving things that I find it a lot more difficult because of the economy and because of the social panorama mm-hmm. or, or simply because it's not our ambition, but we are forever in that journey. Yeah. And so it's kind of that experience of what happens. I, I guess this is my interpretation of the title. It's like, while while you're waiting for those things to potentially come about, it doesn't yes. mean you're any less of a human or that you're any less valid. Yes, definitely. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Like just just because people just because you don't have a full time job, it doesn't mean that you are flawed. Or like Margaret Thatcher said, used to say that if you were over twenty six and still using public transportation, you were a failure. Wow! But, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible stuff. Well, that's yeah. not true. You're you're doing fine. So I have I have lots of different questions, but I'm wondering about when you talk about being international, intersectional, and interdisciplinary in your bio. Mm-hmm. How has that come about, and how do you see that in your work? Well, it's mostly out of necessity. I'd say. Well, because I I just feel like I cannot speak from a one type of experience mm-hmm. and one discipline and one point of view, like. Because of my journey through life, I was born in Mexico and raised in Mexico for the first 24 years of my life. I was an Anglophile when I was like a teenager. 
and it was like, oh, England, oh, Britain, like, because it was like the times, cool Britannia time, <laughs> like you had Spice Girls, Radiohead, <laughs> Rain Spotting, like, yeah, it was like all that, like, Britain looked the coolest, uh, to, like, for example, like in Mexico, like in Mexico, people really love those things and the bath and like blur and oasis like they weren't very successful in the u.s but mm -hmm. in mexico they were like huge and even like for in, in sports in football um you tell them you ask them about good football and they say oh yeah british football manchester united uh chelsea like uh and very recently Leicester like now now my relative because after Leicester won the premier the premiership in 2016 I think it was yeah okay after Leicester won won that thing before that my relatives were like oh where is it that you live is it Leicester <laughs> what is that is it how close is it to London how close is it to Manchester but once like that football thing happened uh, now they're like oh Leicester good football yeah I was just like surprised by that like not exactly by the football when I was younger but by the media the music mm -hmm. like I thought it was just the coolest as uh, I don't know if you remember the series as if they had they didn't have a lot of sex or drugs but it was still like look at this cool British people having fun and having boyfriends and girlfriends and going to the club and having the drink spiked and horrible <laughs> stuff. But, but, but they just looked so cool to uh, a tiny Mexican in the room. So it was like, oh yeah, I want to be British. I want to go to England. And I ended up like in a long distance relationship with a British guy and I then got, I got like, got a scholarship for a master's degree at Bristol University in history of art. And I came and studied and did that thing and got married and just stuck around and lived for a bit in Salford and mm -hmm. then moved to Leicester. And I've been here ever since. Cool. And what was it like, the actual reality of coming to the UK compared to what you thought it might be like from seeing it on um, programmes and stuff? Uh, well, it's a lot more miserable than what we saw. <laughs> <laughs> Even the things on television and on movies like that are meant to be grim, that were meant to be grim then. Mm -hmm. didn't look that grim like yeah. even like Billy Elliot because it was like oh yeah the miners strikes poverty uh horrible living living conditions but at least he's got the sing the music and the mm -hmm. dancing so that looks like very glamorized and very like you can be anything you want you can be a ballet dancer and things like that. And with train spotting, even if they were like doing drugs, it was like, oh, it looks so cool. Listen <laughs> to Iggy Pop on the background. Like, even if like really horrible stuff was happening. It was better than like doing heroin in Edinburgh looked better than s sniffing glue in La Moderna. I don't know. 
<laughs> I feel I like that could be the title of, of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess so. there's also that experience of being a queer person of colour in Britain. And that's clearly not depicted in a lot of media that gets sent around the world. So what has no. that experience been like? Uh, it's been so and so. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. It wasn't. It was certainly not in the media. A lot of the people were white and straight. Even if, like for example, the Spice Girls, like they were just at it with each other, and they were very gay. But <laughs> it was just like I wasn't ready for this. Like I wasn't ready for um, the microaggressions. Fortunately, Lester is a bit more uh, multicultural. Like there are more, there are like half of the population is not white. So they don't see me as like a weirdo, as like in Salford and in Manchester, there were times when we used to go to restaurants and they wouldn't take my order unless my husband said it for me because they said they didn't understand my accent and things like that and then like all the the terrible so-called democratic decisions that have been taking place in the past five years or so yeah like and even before that like right before I was coming in there was that conservative liberal conservative alliance thing Mm -hmm. in power like it was no more cool cool Britannia yeah, that's all, I, all I've known, like conservative, austerity, um, threatening, thing, threatening environment. And even within, for example, as a queer person of color, like getting involved with like the queer punk, like the local queer punk scene and starting to make stuff happen, eventually turned out to be very ugly. Um I won't go into a lot of details about that, but racism and ableism and classism were like they were very visible. Like things mm-hmm. like, oh, don't pay attention to them. They they are drama queens because telenovelas. Because oh, they are like oh, they, these people feel too much. These people complaining about terrible things that we do mm-hmm. are crazy, and it was like very. It wasn't even like thinly veiled racism. It was just like just seeing the the kind of people that got so, that got cancelled mm. were always people of color, like bands breaking up because a person of color did something. But when someone, when a white person does something worse, it doesn't matter. Like they actually like invite them to join in more bands. Yeah. Yeah, and things like that. It's, yeah, that's fucked up. It must have been really hard to, well, and an on, ongoing, it must be really hard to yes. experience that. Yes, it was terrible. Like, it was it was my life at some point just to be like, oh, yeah, I'm with the queers. We are friends and we play together, children everywhere. And then these people are like, just now they're like trash talking about anyone they don't like. And it turns out that anyone they don't like is not white or and or not thin and Mm. or not 
trust fund, a trust fund baby. So they, they and or not uh, educated. Like it's very, very insidious. It's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. And that makes me think of one of the, um, one of the videos that was on your website where you talk about speaking truths and speaking truths for yourself and for other people that are often unspoken. And I'm just wondering is, was that kind of fuel for, um, did that kind of help you to, to feel empowered to do that because you could see so much injustice? Yes, definitely. Yeah, Mm. it was, yeah, it was, that video was for the national poetry day and the topic was truth. And it really resonated over the times uh, we have to call out something that is not very good that is going on, but especially in in areas and circumstances where it's kind of common sense, part of the ethos, apparently, that you're meant to call out these horrible things that are not tolerated. Mm. But turns out that what is not tolerated is you speaking up against those things. Yeah. Like we, we used to, like with the queer punk scene, we used to do a lot of like safer spaces policies, things like, oh yeah, we won't tolerate racism, ableism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, fatphobia, classism, and so on and so on. And we were a lot of about that because we were thinking we never thought that it would it could happen within the community. Mm. Or at least I didn't, naively. It was just, oh yeah, we'll just, if there's a drunk bloke harassing someone, we'll kick them out. We'll kick yeah. him out. And that was, that was what it was intended for. And we did it a few times and it was like empowering and it would it it would help like the big the survivors of the harassment like they would mm-hmm. be like oh thank you so much blah, blah blah but if it happens within the organization and you call it out and this person who does the things is someone with higher social capital higher power or persuasion persuasion techniques like cult like persuasion yeah. techniques uh, then you have everything to lose like and you can even see this on like mainstream media on like how long it took for Harvey Weinstein to be uh, condemned yeah yeah there's a lot of um I guess, performative stuff going on as well, isn't there? Where even if, for example, if an organization says, oh yeah, we have a safer spaces policy, but Mm -hmm. actually when it comes to it, the people who are overseeing it are themselves not able to be held accountable. That's just really problematic. Definitely. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, maybe this makes me want to ask you about um, mental health and you talk about self-preservation mm-hmm. and I, another, people should go to your website and check out some of your poetry on there or, or performances because um, there's one that you do called How to Leave the House in Times of Trouble and I wonder how that came about and um, what it is that you might do to kind of help support yourself when you're experiencing these microaggressions and just this general bullshit when you're trying to make changes. Uh, well, I wrote that at, uh, there used to be this project called Pangea Poetry, like they had this international 
spoken word slam. Like it was like a an internet contest, but it was also it also included workshops and talks and mm-hmm. it was very nurturing. A lot of the workshops were led by Dinata, who recently released the Black Fam- the Black Flamingo, uh, a really good young adult poetry slash uh, story. Very, very recommended. Mm, cool. And one of Dean's exercises for the workshops was to write a user manual to do something like how to be a poet, how to be gay, how to do this. Like, and I was, and I thought, oh yeah, how to leave the house in times of trouble because that's mm. something that I really struggle with. A lot of like fear of stepping outside, a lot of anxiety, agoraphobia, just really struggling and fearing that something awful might happen if I if I just go outside into the crowds mm-hmm. and some people might say oh nothing's gonna happen you'll be fine but then you look at the news and you see that a lot of the time it's not fine mm-hmm. a lot of people leave the house and never come back so it's like how do you get ready to do these things how do you physically and psychologically and psychically strengthen yourself to be able to go on into your day-to-day life so I wrote that poem and it was it just starts from like well waking up like if you don't wake up then you're going to miss out on a lot of things and just taking your medication having your breakfast getting like clean putting on makeup a bit to like hype yourself up and kind of like are more like where things that made you feel confident and take your umbrella and take your sunglasses because <laughs> and pretend that's that's the kind of weather <laughs> you never know which one you're going to use but you're going to use one of them so true <laughs> yeah. and yeah that's i i keep following those those steps to just leave the house when it's necessary to do it Mm. and so it sounds like for you that is part of your self-care and I just wondered if there's anything else that you do Uh, well now I'm I'm trying to take more vitamins uh, because I am an old millennial (laughs) (laughs) and I started like a lot of people who are not white during the winter particularly we tend to have a lot of deficiency on vitamin D and Mm -hmm. that can manifest as fatigue, depression, and so on. So I just started taking vitamin D. Like in the morning, I just like wake up, take like my regular meds and then make like a cocktail of uh, vitamin C, tonic, apple cider vinegar Mm -hmm. on, on a gin glass from Sainsbury's that says Jim Vincible. <laughs> it's like it's not gin but it's a tonic <laughs> and I, I use that I use that to swallow the vitamin D and I have a coffee and have like whatever there is for breakfast and just oh and play with my cat oh my cat the cat is a really good alarm clock <laughs> like it 
it, it really helps to have a cat or if you if you have a lot more energy and you have a child that's also that also works she she just like meows at me at like eight in the morning like to wake up and she come and, and she just like cuddles up around my face for like five minutes and that's that's a really good way to get loved up and get like that energy mm-hmm. to move forward and be like yes I'll do it for you Shirley <laughs> that's really cool I've never thought about yeah. that before that kind of um something waking you up every morning that isn't an alarm clock would be quite nice yes it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I guess I'm wondering with with that you talk about self-care and um obviously it's it's really important to you and I just wondered if there are periods where you've experienced burnout and what you've done in those periods yes a lot of the time um because of my like conditions like including like ADHD hypothyroidism dyslexia when when I manage to do things I always end up with a hangover Mm. like even if I didn't drink anything like on Wednesday for instance like I went to London walked everywhere went to see Slater Kinney got a bit drunk came back on the train and then slept and I'm still recovering from that but I, am, I, I feel exactly the same way I feel like when I'm just at home studying, writing, reading until three o'clock in the morning without getting drunk or anything. Mm. Like it's, everything is so exhaustive. So what I do is just cool down, do only the, the necessary things, um, if I have to go somewhere, I like just like go on a on a taxi, just take it easy, wear comfy clothes, work from home if possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't feel strong enough to go to school, I just like stay at home and follow the lecture on Blackboard because they film the lectures and the slides and I catch up at my own pace. Mm-hmm. Just mostly knowing that after you do something big or something exciting, you're going to need time to recover. And, and also, yeah, I, I, I avoid as much of like the news or triggering or depressing things as possible, unless mm-hmm. I feel like energetic enough or it's part of the syllabus or it's part of what I'm writing about. Then. Yeah. I take extra care and it's like, okay, I'm going to have a chocolate or I'm going to play some video games and wind down and cuddle my cat and stuff. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember as well that um, quite often, especially when you're working in activism in some way, people think that they need to know all the things and they are constantly, you know, like reading the news or reading things that are really quite traumatic and there's only so much that you can take right you have to actually at some point limit that so that you are able to function and to do anything um that's certainly been my experience i don't know how that sounds for you yes definitely yes you you definitely need that time off or like instead of reading the news or things like that what i mostly do i i really like podcasts Mm. and i mostly listen to like 
lefty politics pod like podcasts or podcasts about like how like things like that uh how the people who are making all the horrible stuff happen mm -hmm. not only are horrible but are ridiculous and it's a bit like it makes it less scary just to hear them and be like oh yeah this person haha they have like oh the prime minister has birthday cake for breakfast and it's like <laughs> oh haha and things like that or like oh this this person used to write for the university paper and they read the paper and it's absolute trash and things like that so it's like it kind of helps you to mimify the news and the current events as a way to not absolutely break down and be like these people have power and they think I'm scum and it kind of makes you feel like stronger like like no matter how like like for example with the alt-right thing like knowing that no matter how skinned I am I will never be as broke as Milo Yiannopoulos who is like millions of dollars indebted for being mm. a horrible person so it's like it's a bit like schadenfreude and it gives you a bit more energy to be able to be yourself and do you and even if the laws or the clauses or the bans and things say that you don't belong here you belong even more than these people mm. yeah that's a really interesting way of looking at it just seeing people as yeah humans who are flawed rather than these all-powerful people that are making decisions that affect everyone yes definitely yeah and so you obviously do a lot of writing and you mentioned that you've done it since you were really tiny I just wondered what writing has like what role has writing played in your life it's just been the constant the thing that I always come back to or the thing that I always do that I know how to do like this mm. of ADHD we, we get bored very easily like I can end up like learning how to play an instrument and then feel immediately disappointed or bored or tired or take up a craft or take up something or join a group that does one thing or another mm -hmm. but I, whatever I do I always end up uh, heading towards the writing bit like when I used to be at this collective of independent filmmakers, mm -hmm. the thing that I headed towards was screenwriting, character development. Um, with the music, it's like, oh yeah, the songwriting, singing or trying to sing. Even in university, when I was doing my arts degree, I didn't go for the fine arts, for the making making art part but as but as a writing about art mm -hmm. or writing as an art so it's 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 the best way I can express myself um like since I was like tiny I was like just writing little short stories like they were like chilled like about children's stories about characters and martians and cute stuff and then as i've been growing up i keep writing about less fantasy mm -hmm. but while keeping that uh, surrealist uh, 
fantastic, like uh, ima- imaginary level of expression because mm-hmm. it, it, it works a lot more than just saying this happened, blah, 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 blah. It works it, a lot of the time. I feel a bit more liberated when I write it about like using metaphors or something. Mm. And it's just, it's the best, the best vehicle for myself to like, to speak about subjects that are very hard to be talked about. Just like reach out. Yeah. And so you've got this poetry collection coming out in September mm-hmm. and I wondered what's next for you after that. Obviously, that's huge in itself. Yes, it's it's amazing. I'm really excited. Like we're having a book launch party in Leicester. Like it's coming out in, on the on the seventh of September, mm-hmm. but the the party is going to be later that month. Like late in later in September. Mm-hmm. And then the plan is to go on tour with the book across open, like headlining open mic events across the country. Cool. Like that would be mostly touring, promoting, trying to get interviews, trying to get the word out, connecting with people, maybe doing a bit more workshops about yeah. the subject of liminal identities, like... And, and and teaching to other people like this because I really like doing workshops and maybe next year try to aim for festivals maybe at some point like maybe do something at Edinburgh Fringe mm-hmm. we'll see that sounds really exciting mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so um when I have a guest on, I normally ask if there's anything that they would like to share with people that are listening, uh, that they're really enjoying at the moment. And you've got two really cool things. So it would be great if you could share those. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was saying before that I went to see Slater Kinney at Brixton Academy and they were really good. But the openers are this, were this British, black British band called Big Joni. And they are amazing. Like, if you haven't heard them, you need to do it. They are the best band in Britain. And they do a bit, like, post-punk, but they just sing a lot about, like, sisterhood or siblinghood, about broken friendships, about strong, like, stronger connections, about a lot, a lot of, like, feminist stuff. And it's so concise, like, the drummer, particularly Shadine, inspires me. Like, inspires me to take up drumming at some point because mm-hmm. she she just has this very minimal setup of like a couple of drums and cowbell and not maracas. Well, like tambourines and things like that uh-huh. and it's very inspiring stuff like they started at first timers fest actually uh which is the festival that happens every year in the airway space for london okay. and it, they just invite they invite people who have never played in a band 
or who have played in a band, but they have never played a certain instrument. Mm -hmm. And they all like take uh, introduction, like just a couple of workshops on that instrument or that technique, like songwriting or singing or not being like not being shy on stage and mm-hmm. a lot of really good bands like practically the best bands in London ha- have come out from that from that scheme like Big Joni, Charmpit, uh, Scrap Brain, uh, uh, Secret Power, a lot of bands are like a lot of a lot of these bands they are really really good and they still have that level of rawness that you can't see from people who have been playing for years and just do it automatically these ones you see like a lot of intent and honesty it's it's really good listen to them yeah i definitely will they sound amazing Mm. um and then the other thing you said was a book i think oh yes i was reading this book uh, when I've, I'm I'm currently finishing the manuscript for Meanwhile, and one of the influential books for, particularly for the section of the successful queer, is a series of essays by Heather Love called Feeling Backward, and it's about queer time it's about queer time queer failure like basically what Jack Halberstam has been talking about for years but oriented to like art history queer history like why is only like success stories or big bombastic controversial stories about queerness are the ones that survive Mm. like what about things like unrequited love or being in the closet or just not being like affluent, white, capitalist, cisgender, things like that. Like Heather tries to include a bit of a more multidimensional, I mean, um, revision on the history of queerness, Mm -hmm. just like from the past and from the present, like all those identities that go silenced today and how it's like a lot of like mainstream LGBTQ pride, things like that. It's all very exclusive. Hmm. So the essays are trying to counteract this and show, yeah, it's okay to have like heartbreak. It's okay to just not be an excellent, outstanding uh queer with a husband and two dogs and a police force job and parading at pride in a thong like (laughs) you can also be a sad lesbian in the 19th century writing in in a bedroom i don't know (laughs) i'm just ranting but yeah it's really good that makes sense yeah and just the fact that well, queer stories are so rarely told anyway. And the fact that then they're, when they are told, they're very stereotypically, yeah, about gay, cis guys or whatever it is. That's, yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that that would be really interesting. 
Hmm. I'm just wondering, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you're quite keen to chat about? Yeah, like recently I've been using a lot of, like I, I was, cause, because my first language is Spanish, but my poetry is in English. Mm. I've been recently writing a bit more. I've, I've become one of those Spanglish poets <laughs> who cool. includes random bits of, of Spanish in the writing. And it's like, oh, yeah, sí, la, la no sé qué, qué sé yo. And a couple of my poems in this book are going to be like that if not more, um, particularly after, um, you know, about the book American Dirt, best-selling novel about, like, a Mexican lady who's, like, who used to be married to a new, to a journalist, but also had, like, an affair with a drug dealer, a narco, a drug lord, mm-hmm. and the husband was killed, and she had to, like, leave Mexico and it just with her son and it just shows like the typical stereotype of Mexico just being like a desert where everyone kills each other and everything is miserable Mm. but all written by an American person yeah and and people like Stephen King and Oprah are saying, oh, this book is so amazing and authentic. But a lot of Mexican and Latin American and Mexican American writers have been saying, no, this, this, this is actually not on. This is not the reality of Mexico. Like there are so that like this is not the experience. Even like you should you should be reading to you should be reading authentic. Latin American voices mm. to get the better, the best experience. But it's like the Latin American people, uh, they, the Latin American people are the ones. Again, the whole thing about cancel culture, only canceling the people who call out the cancelable things. Yeah. Good. Like yeah, like the main the the. The, the main person in this in the like counteracting movement called Dignidad Literaria, like hashtag Dignidad Literaria. I'll send you the link. Cool, yeah. Like she she like she's been just not like, been getting tons of death threats. She was kicked out of her job as a teacher. She's just been doing like really badly and been called a bully because she doesn't like that we are being portrayed as horrible as like miserable Mm. so I'm just trying to include more more of my roots more of the story that is still there because I am still Mexican even when I'm British and I want to include this duality or more than duality and so I'm just and and also because I, I learned and had to adapt to learn English so now it might be your turn to learn Spanish. To, yeah. Well, I, I do include like translations and stuff, but I'm, I'm trying to make, to, to bring that out a bit, a bit more. Yeah. For, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you think, um, as your experience writing, cause you're obviously used to writing in English. I'm, I'm sure you're used mm-hmm. to writing in Spanish too, but I mean, if you, if your work now predominantly is in English, how is it? 
um, having two languages to express yourself because I know um, like I can't claim to be fluent in another language but I studied languages at uni and um, it feels like it brings so much more to your vocabulary being able to use other words that describe things so much better in a different language than um, another one might. Yes yes it does definitely. It's very weird because I grew up reading books in Spanish like novels I'm better at writing novels and short stories in Spanish, but because I used to listen to music in English, I'm, be I'm better at writing poetry and songwriting in English mm. because, I don't know, it's easier to rhyme or something. But it does work to, like, borrow words from both languages and use them, like, here and there like maybe include some anglicisms in short stories in Spanish yeah. and include some Spanish phrases in some songs in English. Uh, it's, it is very rich. It does extend during like your vocabulary and gives you more ways to express your intentions and your, your truths. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I've really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. excellent thank you so much Jam. i really loved this as well oh i'm so pleased you came on um yeah it was great and mm -hmm. anyone wanting to check out your book should definitely can they do anything like pre-order before september uh not yet but i might release a pre-order in the summer in the meantime i do have some ebooks of a couple of things a couple of scenes that i wrote in the past few years uh, as part of National Poetry Writing Month in April. Uh -huh. uh, I wrote one for like 2017 and one for 2018 and they're still available if you if you want to buy them on, on the website. Great, so we'll um, link to those. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And if you want to do the, the challenge this year in April, you can do like a poem a day. It's oh, okay. That mm -hmm. does sound fun. I might look into that. Um, yeah. And if people want to come and catch you on tour, where will your dates be? Will they be on your website? Yes, also. Yeah, they will be on the website. Like definitely in Leicester. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking into taking it to Nottingham, Derby, Bristol, London, uh, Manchester, Hebden Bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to take it as, as far as possible, like, even if it's like Scotland, because I love Scotland or yeah. Wales. Or, awesome. Well, I really hope to be able to come along and, and see one of them. I'd love to. Yes, that'd be amazing. You'd be more than welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. You. And um, yeah, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks so much. Very nice to speak to you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Cynthia's episode and that you'll go and check out some of Cynthia's work. As always, the links to everything will be in the show notes. And that's all for today. See you next week. Bye.